streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, and one of the great things about doing Heart of the Matter is we get to meet great people from all over the place, and in our studio audience tonight, we've met a few. Here we have Tom from Fort Worth, Texas, all the way out. He's traveling through. Tom, say hello. Hello. Tom's hello. And then we have Lou, and we have Randy, and they are from Pala, Indian Reservation in California. Hellos? Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom and howdy. <laughs> and and uh, it's really great because people come from all different walks of life. Some people are believers, some people are not. Some people, you don't, we don't even know, but they come in, they watch the show, you're always welcome. So really grateful that you guys came in. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks for being on. Heart of the Matter can be watched anywhere in the world through streaming video. Just go to hotm.tv and uh, click on the streaming video button. For those local, uh, Affordable Automotive is a great uh, place to take your car. They're fair, they're honest, and they're devout Christians. Affordable Automotive, uh, right there on 9th East in Salt Lake City. Look them up. If you're a fan of Adams Road, we are very supportive of Adams Road. They're in their last two weeks of touring Utah for the summer or for the year. Wednesday the 28th, they're going to be at Calvary Mountain View at 7 p.m. That's Joe McCormick's church. I hear they're doing well out there. And then Friday, September 30th, Utah Partners for Christ, Russ East uh, group, is gonna, they're going to be having a banquet at the Castle in Layton starting at 6 p.m. So those are going to be the places that you might be able to catch uh, Adams Road and uh, enjoy their testimony and the story they have of coming out of Mormonism. Would you like to be an Aletheia ambassador? We have over 100 people out in the nation and the world, actually, who would love to meet with you. If you're searching for truth, if you want to know more about the Lord, if you're coming out of Mormonism or just wondering about life, um, if you're looking for someone who lives in your area, you can email us, sean at aletheamedia.com, and we will put you in contact with one of the representatives. It's really amazing. I mean, just uh, two days ago, we got one from, I think it was uh, Texas or Virginia. person said, hey, I would really like to speak with somebody. We put them in contact. That person said, I can't wait to talk, and they'll meet up, and you'll find somebody who can help you with the answers. Also, if you would like to be an Aletheia ambassador, email us at the same place. Say, I'm interested in being a representative or an ambassador in our area, and uh, we'll get that uh, going. Speaking of ambassadors of sorts, we have long dreamed about this state uh, where, uh, being in the place where all Christian churches, denominations are properly trained on how to help assimilate LDS people out of the church and into a saving relationship with the Lord. Coming out of Mormonism and into a Christian church is difficult because you're used to one culture 
and you automatically step into a very different cultural uh, scene and so it can be very troubling for a Latter-day Saint. We think we've come a long way in seeing this dream come true. It's going to take your help. Uh, a group of believing kind of higher academic types have worked very hard at putting together an excellent, superb training program uh, and they've called it Transitions. A few weeks back, uh, some 60 people went to Good Shepherd Lutheran there in Sandy and uh, representing 30 churches and they were trained on how to use this program. And we promised here that we would air the churches that have been properly trained on transitions. So if you're LDS and you're looking for a church that will understand your plight and has actually been trained on how to help you understand the differences between what you've been in and what you're coming into, uh, check these churches out. We're going to show you a graphic right now. They are Alpine Church, Riverdale, Layton, Logan, West Haven, Bridging Jordan and Murray, Cache Valley Bible Church in Logan, Calvary Chapel, Wasatch Front, Clearfield, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, First Presbyterian Church, Salt Lake City, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Sandy, K2 the Church in Salt Lake, Main Street Church in Brigham City, New Pilgrim Baptist in Kearns, and Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Brigham City. Now, you'll notice that out of this whole state, we only listed 10 or 11 churches. What up with that? Uh, first, 30 churches were trained, but 19 of them weren't sure they wanted to or weren't ready to have us uh, represent them on our program, whatever. But throughout this entire state, only 30 churches were willing to take advantage of this outstanding program that, has, that will certainly help them transition people out. Why? I don't know if we can understand why, but I can tell you that much of the body is cowering in the shadow of Mormonism in this state. They're trying to be friendly, they're trying to be neutral, they're trying to, they don't want to offend their congregates who have LDS family and friends, so they take this very soft approach to uh, uh, getting involved in programs like this. All I can say is if, that's, if this is your stance and you're a pastor, you should quit and start selling shoes or something that's not going to offend anybody. Because, um, because of this, we're going to bypass appealing to pastors and we're going to appeal to the membership of the body in the state of Utah. Go to your pastor, your leadership, and say, listen, we want our church to be transition trained. We want somebody to go to the next training that represents our church so that our neighbors can know that they can come to our church and learn about um, transitioning from being LDS to the Christian uh, body. Want more information? Go to www.ldstransitions.com, not .org, .com. All right. This coming week at the University of Utah, we're, la we're launching a brand new church. Uh, not just a church, but we, what we hope will be and continue to be a brand new church culture. Last week we had a guy who called the show, he referred to himself as a brother, and he said that the church sounded like a cult. I'm not sure what was in the description of uh, campus that made it sound like a cult, but the fact is um, we're criticized kind of before it's even started. This happened when we announced the book Born Again Mormon and the website Born Again Mormon before we even had the show. Uh, Well-meaning Christians criticized the title and said it should be avoided and 
and not looked at and turned from on the internet right off the bat without even seeing it. Shoot first, ask questions later type of thing. All we can say to you is that if you don't have a church, you don't particularly like the Christian culture, and you're looking for a place to maybe start in a ground floor church and to see what it's about and participate and be involved in what, they, what we're going to do up there, uh, come and see us. Uh, we're going to try to dismantle the religious applications that have been thrown on us for the past couple hundred years and just try to get back to the basics. So that's Sunday, October 2nd. Take a look at this promo. That's Sunday, this coming Sunday, October 2nd. The first gathering is, uh, we call it Milk, and it begins at 10. And the second gathering is called Meat. It begins at 2.30. Now, this being said, uh, the state of Utah, actually, it is um, Grace uh, Community Bible Church at 1 o'clock on Sunday is having what I think is one of the best teachers, speakers, professors ever in understanding the reliability of the Bible. So from 1 to 3.30, at the same time we're holding our second uh, first service, this guy named Norman Geisler is going to be speaking, or Gisler, however you say it. Uh, I would, if I wasn't going to be up at the U of U, I would be there, and I would... I, I would choose to go to hear Geisler uh, there, uh, then coming to the, the launch in the afternoon if you have the choice, because it is so important for the body to understand the reliability of the Word of God. So uh, put off coming to, to campus in the afternoon if you want, and come the following week if you're interested, and start then. 
Uh, but check out Grace Community Bible Church. It's at 11, uh, it's at 116 South, 1300 East in Sandy, because this is a real opportunity in the state to hear uh, someone who can really teach you how to tell people why you can trust the Bible. He's a PhD, he's, he's toured the world and uh, renowned, and I recommend his books often on the show. So there's a, there's a hearty, hefty plug, even though it's counter to what our interests are, it's in the interest of the body for you to attend that, uh, and then you can consider coming to uh, the uh, uh, meet gathering the following week if you'd like. Okay, how about a moment from the Word? Our passages tonight bring us to chapter 26 of Matthew as we've worked our way. And there's an important differentiation between, the biblical, Christ, between biblical Christianity and the LDS church here. So let's read these. Matthew 26, 36. It's Jesus going into Gethsemane. Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and said unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them, and he went away again, and he prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples, and said unto him, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners." To Bible-believing Christians, Jesus' suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane was a preparatory time of prayer and temptation prior to him turning himself and his will over completely to both holy God and sinful men, while the uh, cross was the place where he suffered for the sins of the world. To the LDS, however, the cross was more the place where Jesus simply suffered physical death while the Garden of Gethsemane was the place where he actually paid for sin. Uh, this teaching makes Mormon people take their eyes off the cross as, as something that's important and to focus it on a completely different place than all of Christianity looks. And, and they focus it on this Garden of Gethsemane. They say this is where Jesus suffered for sin. Late LDS Apostle... Bruce R. McConkie wrote in his book, The Promised Messiah, page 337, Forgiveness is available because Christ the Lord sweat great drops of blood in Gethsemane as he bore the incalculable weight of the sins of all who would ever or would ever repent. Uh, in the Book of Mormon, Messiah 3.7, it says, speaking of Jesus, and lo, he shall suffer temptations and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer, except it be unto death. For behold, blood cometh from every pore, so great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and abominations of his people. 
late LDS uh, prophet and president Ezra Taft Benson said, quote, it was in Gethsemane that Jesus took on himself the sins of the world, in Gethsemane that his pain was equivalent to the cumulative burden of all men, in Gethsemane that he descended below all things so that all could repent and come unto him. Separating themselves even further from Bible-believing Christians the world over, LDS Apostle Bruce McConkie wrote in Doctrinal New Testament Commentary these words. And as he, Jesus, came out of the garden, delivering himself voluntarily into the hands of wicked men, the victory had been won. There remained yet the shame and pain of his arrest, his trial, and his cross. But all of these were overshadowing the agonies and sufferings in Gethsemane. It was on the cross he suffered death in the flesh, even as many have suffered agonizing deaths. But it was in Gethsemane that he suffered the pains of all men, and that all men, that all men might repent and come unto him. What would cause McConkie and Benson and these other leaders to point to the Garden of Gethsemane over the cross as the place of atonement? The need to be different from Christians, from biblical truth, creates a type of pride and religious elitism. The LDS who are, who are taught in their doctrines can walk about and mock people who wear crosses. They can say, oh, that's so childish. That was just an instrument of death. There were other people who died on crosses. That just let that be, you know, okay, nice little Christian, uh, terrestrial, celestial kingdom bound, go on your way. We celestial people know that he suffered in the garden. And that is where all the true atonement took place. And so it separates them theologically. It gives them this insight that they think is above typical just Bible-believing Christians. And therefore, they have the inner path, the secret knowledge to salvation. Um, to understand this attitude, uh, we need to look at some of the reasons. Um, to the LDS, the cross is like a backwooded, juvenile, immature sign. McConkie arrogantly wrote, The sectarian world falsely supposed that the climax of his torture and suffering was on the cross, a view which they keep ever before them by the constant use of the cross as a religious symbol, end quote. When McConkie wrote The Sectarian World, he is speaking of all of Christianity. Anybody who calls themselves a Christian, he is saying we are the sectarian world, which means we don't have the religious truths. Let me give you 10 factors really quickly of why Jesus' suffering for sin was on the cross and not in the garden. Number one, Jesus shed blood typified centuries and centuries of the children of Israel taking an animal, shedding its blood for the propitiation of sin, for the atonement of sin, the covering of sin, until Jesus came. You will notice no animal went and suffered in a garden, sweated out what was uh, uh, its atonement, and, and then was killed. The, the suffering of the animal or the shedding of blood occurred by the hands of a man. He killed the animal, and that is what... Uh, brought about the men putting that animal to death, just like men putting Jesus to death shed his blood, not some fictitious focus on the garden. 
Second, Jesus was suffering. It was public. Um, it was outside the city walls, which was done in the Old Testament. A sinner was cast outside the city walls and put to death. His shame uh, caused by our sin was a public thing, not secretly sequestered away in the garden. Third, throughout his time in the garden, Jesus speaks of his hour, his hour that lied ahead of him. Only after the trial in the uh, garden and the temptation in the garden was over did he say, my hour has come. Now my hour has come. You get it? In the garden, uh, if the garden was so central to atonement, why did John the Beloved essentially omit anything about the Garden of Gethsemane in his gospel, and, but write at length about the cross? Fifth, here in Matthew's account, Jesus prays three times that the, uh, to the Father that if it was p possible, this cup would pass, meaning his taking on our sin would pass. Once Jesus was outside of the garden and Peter cuts off the, the ear of Malchus, one of the guards, Jesus says to him, put away your sword into the sheath. The cup which my Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Meaning the cup was not drank or drunken, in the garden by Jesus, it was there waiting. And when Peter cut off the soldier's ear, Jesus said, hey, I have to drink this cup. My father said his will must be done. Don't you want me to drink the cup that waits for me at the cross? You see, the cup hadn't been, uh, hadn't been partaken of like McConkie alludes to, Apostle McConkie. Uh, in all of the Bible, number six, the suffering for sin is repeatedly equated to the cross. The cross, the cross. It tells us to look to the cross. Everything is the cross. There is no reference to the garden. None at all. But the LDS say, <coughs> modern revelation has taught them this. Also, scripture tells us to take up our cross, not take up our garden. Take up your cross and bear it, right? Finally, while Jesus was in the garden, Luke points out that God sent an angel from heaven to strengthen him. If Jesus was suffering for sin in the garden, why would God send an angel to strengthen him at the same time? Jesus is suffering for sin. God is exacting the suffering that we would normally have upon his son. He's suffering for sin, and yet God at the same time sends an angel to help him get through it. That's not how it would work. How do we know that? Because when Jesus was on the cross and the weight of our sin was upon him, the Father left him. And that's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because at that point, our sin separated him for the first time in his eternal existence from the Father. You see, nothing happened in the garden. From there, the Father was trying to help him with the buffetings of Satan. The LDS get you to twist off the, off the cross and to the garden. They get you to twist off Jesus' eternality. They get you to twist off Jesus being God. They get you to twist off God being eternal, immutable, and being forever, and make him think he was a man. They twist and twist and twist until you have done an about face from Christianity. And that was the whole point of it. What actually happened in Gethsemane? Jesus was being tempted with his will to say, I'm not going to do this. This is an ugly, horrible, heavy thing. Father, if I don't have to, can it pass? Nevertheless, your will, not mine, be done. The ultimate picture of submitting our will to him. With that, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that you'll be with us. You'll help us in, as we uh, explore these things, talk about these things. So people's eyes will be open to the truth. We're thankful for those who help the ministry. 
whoever they are in whatever capacity. We pray for those who are struggling with testimony of you, who, are, who have been taught about Mormonism but can't get it out of their head and heart. We pray you will hear their prayers, Lord, and that you will release them from this bondage. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, we are going to begin talking about the process by which Joseph Smith uh, had the angel Moroni visit him, continue to visit him, and how he started to concoct the, uh, the Book of Mormon in his mind. But there's a period of time that is silent uh, with regard to Joseph Smith. And it's from the time, 1823, when the angel Moroni supposedly appeared to him in his room, to the publication of the Book of Mormon in 1829, over six years later. So a full six years, Jesus says, the angel Moroni told me, told me about plates. Six years later, Joseph Smith produces a manuscript. What happened during that period of time? I'm going to do something tonight. I'm, uh, by the way, you guys, jump to the quotes because get ready for them. And there was a book written uh, in 1834, four years after Joseph Smith uh, said, the, uh, um, four years after Joseph Smith started the LDS Church. The Book of Mormon had been out about five years. And a guy named uh, Eber Howe wrote a book called Mormonism Unveiled. And he went around and he obtained affidavits, signed statements from the neighbors of Joseph Smith's in Palmyra, New York, and in Pennsylvania. And he got them to tell uh, uh, about their experience with Joseph and the Smith family. Um, this is the inside insight into what the outsiders say. Now, people will say, well, those aren't fair, okay? Uh, in Ebert uh, Howe's book, there's 91 um, testimonies of what the Smiths were like. Certainly, some of them could have been exaggerated. Certainly, maybe some people flat out lied against the Smiths. But all of them contain the same essential elements. Some in Palmyra, some far away as Harmony, Pennsylvania, affidavits from different people, all bringing together the same description of the Smiths and Joseph Smith in particular. The LDS say, well, those were taken and they weren't really right, but almost, many of them, I was going to say almost all, but many of them were sworn affidavits before a judge or a justice of the peace. So these people took the time to go swear before a judge, lay out their statement, and the statements all, separate accounts, come together, and they essentially say the same things if you can tease apart some of the rhetoric. So let's go to the first one. This is from 51 people in Palmyra said, We the undersigned have been acquainted with the Smith family for a number of years. While they resided near this place, and we have no hesitation in saying that we consider them destitute of that moral character which ought to entitle them to the confidence of any community. They were particularly famous for visionary projects, spent much of their time in digging for money which they had pretended was hid in the earth. And to this day, large excavations may be seen in the earth not far from their residence, which they used to spend their time digging for hidden treasures. Joseph Sr., Smith Sr. and his son, Joseph, were in particular considered, were in particular considered entirely destitute of moral character and addicted to vicious habits, end quote. 51 residents of Palmyra signed that document. 
Were they, were they uh, exaggerating? They could have. Was there anything in that that was true? There had to be, because we get the same type of descriptions from others. A neighbor of Joseph Smith wrote, I was acquainted with the family of Joseph Smith Sr. both before and since they became Mormons and feel free to state that not one of the male members of the Smith family were entitled to any credit whatsoever. They were lazy, intemperate, and worthless men, very much addicted to lying. In this, they frequently boasted of their skill. Digging for money was their principal employment. I regard to their gold Bible spec... It, I, said, I regard... To their gold Bible speculation, they scarcely ever told two stories alike. Yeah, and history certainly shows that. The Mormon Bible is said to be a revelation from God through Joseph Smith Jr., his prophet. And this same Joseph Smith Jr., to my knowledge, bore the reputation among his neighbors of being a liar. The foregoing can be corroborated by all his former neighbors. This is some serious uh, stuff, folks, because they say all of this can be corroborated by all the neighbors. They make this statement, and they get it assigned by a judge, an affidavit they say is true, and they say, test my words against anybody who knew them. Now, I am personally hated by a lot of people because of what I do. I can go on the Internet, type my name in, and I can find a lot of stuff, some of it true, very little of it, uh, I mean, some of it very, very inaccurate. But... I would be willing, you couldn't find 15 people, and I'm 50 years old, that would consistently report the same things about me in the extreme negative. They might say I had a fault here, I was weak there, but you're not going to find a consistent story. There was no collusion here because the people who reported on the Smiths came from different areas. And the, the important thing about this is, it's pure revisionist history in what the LDS do. Next week, we're going to bring on their recent Ensign magazine, Ensign magazine. That thing shows Joseph Smith and the whole story of the Book of Mormon. It is whitewashed. It is completely void of any of this stuff. Just like the, temple, the film they showed down there at Temple Square of Joseph Smith's life and him getting shot in uh, Carthage jail. Does it show Joseph Smith pulling out a gun and shooting back and killing two people? No, it omits that. You're being handed a whitewashed version of history so that you can buy in more with your emotions and feelings. This story that has been scrubbed and cleansed and revised so many times, the truth is far from it at this point in time. Because of time, I'm not going to read you Hale's, um, uh, uh, Isaac Hale, who was his father-in-law's report of Joseph. This was all the way from Harmony, Pennsylvania. He says the very same things. Lazy, lying, con men trickery, the whole thing, and he witnessed this before and after Joseph's interest in his daughter. Let me uh, finalize with an article that was written in the Palmyra Reflector uh, by a uh, Obadiah uh, Dogberry. It was published in 1830 and 1831. This is in the newspaper. This is what it says. Joseph Smith Sr., the father of the personage of whom we are now writing, meaning Joseph Smith, had by misfortune or otherwise been reduced to poverty before he migrated to western New York. We have never been able to learn that any of the family were ever noted for much else than ignorance and stupidity. I know that's harsh, but this is in the newspaper. To which might be added, so far as it might, may respect the elder branch, a propensity to superstition and a fondness for everything marvelous. We have been credibly informed that the mother of the prophet had connected herself with such religious societies before her present illumination. 
But how far the father of the prophet ever advanced in these particulars, we are not precisely informed. It, however, appears quite certain that the prophet himself never made any serious pretensions to religion until his late pretended revelation. We are not able to determine whether the elder Smith was ever concerned with money-digging transactions previous to his immigration from Vermont or not. But it is a well-authenticated fact that soon after his arrival here, he evinced a firm belief in the existence of hidden treasures and that his section of country abounded in them. He also revived, or in other words, propagated the vulgar yet popular belief that these treasures were held in the charge by some evil spirit, which was supposed to either be the devil himself or some of his most trusty favorites. In another article, Dogberry wrote, it is well known that Joe Smith never pretended to have any communication with angels until a long period after the pretended finding of his book and that the juggling of himself or his father went no further than to pretend faculty of seeing wonders in a peepstone and the occasional interview with the spirit supposedly to have custody of the hidden treasures. What that says in our language is these guys had no interest in religion they were conning people through their trickery, through their wonderful, miraculous stories of lies and deception. And when Joseph locked into the idea that this book could compete with the Bible, suddenly the spirits that were leading him around to find hidden treasure, guarded by devils, were suddenly an angel. And the story morphed. This is when Joseph Smith became a con man, and he turned from being a con man to being the prophet to being a translator and a revelator. This is how the Book of Mormon uh, uh, came out. We've mentioned that before. All right, we're going to go uh, to the phones, and we're going to uh, open them up, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. In the meantime, take a look at this, and we'll come back to your calls. Take a look at this, and we'll come back to your calls. Take a look at this, and you'll, I tried, it worked for Joseph, <laughs> we're not doing it, all right, uh, we don't have one up, you didn't put it in the script, all right, sorry, my fault, see everything's always my fault, uh, let's go to Mario, he's LDS in Salt Lake City, Mario, you're on Heart of the Matter, yeah, I'm here, you're on the air, my friend, hey, how are you, I'm doing well, how are you? Good. Excellent. What's up? Yeah, I met you while I was at Scissors. You met me where? At Scissors uh, restaurant, remember? What restaurant? Sizzler. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I meet a lot of people. And you, you were after me. You said, uh, Mario, are you LDS? And I said, yeah, I am. It wasn't Sunday because I didn't eat at Scissors on Sunday. I don't know, Mario. I'm sorry. I meet a lot of people. So what's up? Well, I, I'm just wondering why you why are you so upset with the LDS Church? Because it lies to people. Probably not. Oh my gosh, Mario! You call the show. We've done six, almost six years of weekly, hour-long shows with documented stuff. I, I pray for you every night, my friend. I'm well, looking well, at you, you right now. Thank you for the prayers. What are you praying for? I, I'm praying that you um, will not be so upset with the LDS people. Well, it bothers me when a corporation lies to people and tells them there's things they need to do in order to be saved. 
I don't understand why are you upset with people with the LDS faith. I just explained it to you. It bothers me that from the top down, they lie to people in telling them about what they need to do in order to live with Heavenly Father after this life. Lie? What? They don't lie. Well, they do lie, Mario. They tell them that you have to pay your tithing and that you have to go to your temple and you need to wear your garments every day. What's it, wrong with that? It's a lie. Why is it a lie? Because it's not true. <laughs> oh, I worry about you. Why? Because well, what will happen to me, Mario? I don't wear garments. Right. I don't wait. I don't wear garments. I don't go to the temple. I don't pay tithing to the Mormon Church. But I am a sold-out believer, and I try to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So tell me, Mario, who's defending the Mormon Church? What's going to happen to me? I pray for you every day that you'll uh, you'll get off your soapbox. Well, it's not going to happen, Mario, so pray for something different, okay? What's going to happen, Mario? What's, every day and Mario, every night. Mario, what's going to happen to me? Answer a question, okay? Don't be a Mormon who can't answer a question. Answer the question, Mario. What's the question? I just gave it to you. You see? I just gave it to you. What's going to happen to me, Mario? I'm a sold-out believer in Jesus. I preach him, believe in him, pray. Have your own free agency. and What's going to happen to me? It's up to God. What? It's up to God? What's going to happen to me according to the Mormon teachings, Mario? God, God will, will handle you. What will that. happen according to the Mormon teachings, Mario? I was Mormon 40 years. I know. This is what frustrates me is when guys like you call and you pretend and you say all this stuff you're praying for me, but I don't want you praying for me because you can't even speak the truth in calling on the show. What will happen to me, Mario, when you go to Elder's Quorum or High Priest? Why do you yell on TV? What will happen to me, Mario? Why are you yelling? It doesn't I mean, matter why yelling, I'm yelling. It's, it's like my really... show. I can do what I want. Why is, what is going to happen to me, Mario? You have your free agency. I, I know I'm I not... have my free agency. What does Mormon doctrine say about a person who fights against the church, believes in Jesus Christ, he won't go to the temple. He hates the temple. He does not like what's going to happen to me, Mario. I don't know. Have you been sleeping in that? Yeah, he's gonna, what he's going to do, it's an ad hominem attack. Have I been sleeping in this shirt? Haven't I been able to afford a haircut? Or am I saving my millions for something different? These ad hominem attacks, because what it does is he couldn't answer the straight up question. And let me tell you something. My friends, you guys, if you're LDS, you know this. What's going to happen to me is I'm going to go to outer darkness because I, am a, I, I fight against the Mormon church, or I will go to the middle kingdom where Jesus can visit, but Heavenly Father cannot. I will never become a god. I will lose my family. He won't say any of that. They teach it week in and week out in their secret churches. He wonders why I raise my voice. I raise my voice because of that duplicitous schnitt shiitake mushroom stuff that comes out. I, I, it just is unbelievable how they will not speak straight answers. That is the devil through and through. I'm sorry, but it is. We are going to go to Stevie. She's 14 and she's LDS. Oh no. Stevie, do your parents know you're calling? Hi, uh, I have a question for you. Okay. Okay. Um, you said in today, in earlier in today's show, yeah. that uh, Mormons believe that uh, Jesus suffered on the cross physically, right? Yes. Okay, and and then you said that Christians believe like he suffered in uh, Gethsemane, or however you say that. 
No, it's the, it's the reverse. We believe, Christians believe he suffered in both places, but for sin, it was on the cross. The Mormons believe that the suffering for sin was in that garden. Oh, okay. And so, and then, uh, like, in the Bible, it says uh, one man, one woman, right? Yeah. Uh, well, um, in uh, Genesis, Abram, uh, he married uh, Sarai's, uh, uh, like, housemaid. Yeah. Whose idea was that, my 14-year-old friend, Stevie? Whose idea was it for Abraham to marry his handmaiden, Hagar? Uh, wasn't it, like, so, like, uh, they could have a child? Well, whose idea was it for him to take his maid as a wife? Uh, Sarai's? It was his wife's idea, huh? You see, because God told Abraham that he was going to have seed as far out as possible and big and long, all kinds of children, and it wasn't happening. And so his wife said, you know, Abraham, this isn't happening. So, hey, look at, look at old Hagar over there. She can probably bear children where I can't. And so Sarah took it into her own hands. She said, God promised us, but I have to act because God's not acting himself, and I'm going to suggest you take this other wife. And so Abraham took another wife. Now, I want you to understand, Stevie, that was not God's idea. That was the wife's idea. That's humans' ideas. And guess what happened from that relationship with Hagar? Do you know what happened? What? A lot of big trouble. Because if you look at the genealogy, all of the Arab nations came from that child that Hagar bore. His name was uh, Esau? Ishmael. Sorry, and all the children that came from Abraham and, and his wife were the Jews. And guess who fight constantly? Every day, turn on your news. Who's fighting still today? The Jews and the children of Ishmael. You got to understand when men take God's ways into their hands and think they know better, problems arise. And that's the story of polygamy, okay? Okay. And uh, like I asked my seminary teacher, I said, um, didn't it say in the Bible, one man, one woman, and he said, yes, and, but, and then the reason Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and all them, they were polygamous is because he said they were told by God to, to like populate the world or something. Well, you know, uh, Stevie, you're, how old are you, 14? You're 14, Stevie? Is what? Are you 14 years old? Yes, I'm 14. Okay, listen, men, they will think that God is telling them to go after other women a lot in their life. They will say, you know, I really think the Lord wants me to go after that woman, even though I got one here who I'm married to. They will say it's the Lord. But I want to tell you right now, Stevie, it's not the Lord. And Joseph, he kept hidden the 33 plus wives he took. He kept them hidden from his own wife because he knew she was not going to put up with it. Does that sound like the actions of a prophet? No, that's what, exactly what my dad told me when I asked him. Your dad's right. Why don't you go to your seminary teacher and ask him about the 33 wives and why Joseph didn't tell his wife? Wouldn't it be honest to tell your wife about the 33 wives? And how come, seminary teacher, some of them were teenagers, as young as me, say to him. They were as young as me. How old are you, seminary teacher? Probably it will be the same thing. Do you see anything wrong with that seminary teacher? Go to him and ask him those things, Stevie. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. God bless you. All right, you too. Okay, bye. 
We're going to go to John in Fort Collins, Colorado. John's a first-time caller. John, we have someone else. Oh, we have someone from Fort Worth, Texas. John, what's up? Hey, thanks for taking my call, Sean. Appreciate it. My pleasure. I want to do the, if you can, just give me a little bit of what's your opinion on uh, Sidney Rigdon being the author of the Book of Mormon and the Campbellism that has kind of uh, came into the Book of Mormon, how that played out, and what is your opinion on, on that theory? I think Sidney Rigdon could have had a great, played a great part in the construction and the content of the Book of Mormon. Uh, my problem with the Solomon Spaulding theory, uh, or uh, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that, that uh, Rigdon yeah. took, the, took the book from the printing shop. Spaulding, yeah. Uh, yeah. The problem with that is it's all based on total hypothecation. It's like if Rigdon, Rigdon took the printing and if he was able to get these certain pages away and if someone was able to do this and if and if and if and if and it's based on a string of hypothecation which people use and I think the view of the Hebrews theory which we're going to cover on these shows is much stronger. Uh, read uh, Persuit's book how We Got the Book of Mormon, I think it's called, uh, Pursue It. You can go to uh, utlm.org and order that book. His book, I think, is far more online. The, the How We Got the Book of Mormon, the Solomon Spaulding Theory with Sidney Rigdon involved, the, the problem with it is its arguments are similar to what the Mormons say. Well, you know, we could have had uh, people come from uh, the old world here by ships, and they could have populated, and they're, they're, it, it's possible that we don't have any physical evidence, and it's possible that that footprint out in the forest is really a Lamanites, and it's, it's all built on hypothecation. Our faith and our best arguments are going to be built on what is established as fact, and view of the Hebrews argument is far better in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. That when uh, the two uh, Jewish... Um the teachers that he had in uh, Ohio, is that what he, what, no. Joseph Smith, is that no. what you're talking about? No, View of the Hebrew uh, is a book that was written prior to Joseph Smith by the uh, pastor, preacher, who was Oliver Cowdery's family's preacher or pastor. And it was all about the ancient Americans coming, uh, I mean, the uh, native uh, Indians coming from the old world. And so uh, I believe that the, the probability is when you do comparisons with that, it's far more probable than the hypothesis. Now, I'm not saying the hypothecation is wrong uh, with Sidney Rigdon. I'm just saying that it's weaker of an argument to use with LDS because it's more of if, well, and uh, versus view of the Hebrews. You can have exact themes, quotes, stuff taken directly from that book and put in the Book of Mormon. But also isn't a lot of the Campbellite uh, some of the doctrine and some of that, it seems like... Sure. It seems, it seems that that could have been Rigdon, uh, his influence. And also, like, I heard that when uh, Sidney was excommunicated from the church, all of uh, Joseph Smith's revelations ceased at that time. Well, he was one of the main... I mean, he was a very charismatic preacher, Rigdon was, in his own right. And he, you know, he, he wanted to take power also, it seems to me. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you're right. And, and the, what, what the, where the, his Campbellite influence uh, contributed to the Book of Mormon uh, is certainly possible. And that is, and Campbell was a, Alexander Campbell was a restorationist, and he believed the primitive church needed to be restored back to the earth well before Joseph Smith came up with that yeah. idea. Yeah. And, and I'm telling this for well, our audience. A lot of coincidence, a lot of common threads back in that time. Absolutely. Yeah. Joseph was not an original guy. He was a synthesizer uh, of information. 
very uh, not very well well written. He Joseph Smith couldn't write very well. He couldn't, uh, but he was very charismatic. So it just seems I've been doing a lot of research on that, and it seems like I know it'd be a very hard case to argue against uh, a, a common uh, Mormon. They would, they, you know, they would have a hard time with that because yeah. it is pretty. Um, detailed but they don't care we've covered alexander campbell we've covered the restoration movement and the influence upon the book of mormon they don't care yeah it, yeah and one more thing just quick um that's fascinating is that i was doing some research too on uh um uh mormon radio stations or mormon tv stations like you turn on the radio and you can get four or five uh bible teaching radio stations that basically have certain different pastors a lot of calvary as you know Calvary Baptist, or Calvary Church, uh, whatever you call it, Church yeah. Calvary Pastors. But uh, none of the Mormon stations, BYU Radio, are all just this, this, this packaging of these general authorities coming on with a little bit of music, and then the general authorities come on with uh, some uh, general conference teachings. There's no scriptures, no, no Mormon stations preach the scriptures. It's all this, this really slick marketing and how wonderful it is to be a Mormon, but they just don't come out with any meat. The whole thing's marketing, John. The whole thing. Yeah. Good call, man. Amazing. Hey, we got a lot of people. Thanks for watching. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Listen, the internet, they have a they have a, a collude, they have a collective effort worldwide. They're trying to get LDS people to go on the internet and submit a YouTube video of them bearing testimony of the Book of Mormon. And they're going to do it on one day, and they did it last year. They're going to do it again this year. And they're going to continue to do it so that when you type in Book of Mormon on YouTube, you're going to get 5,000 videos from different people saying how it's true. They are a marketing machine. And let me tell you something. Uh, people have said they're going to win. I think they probably will win the war here. But they certainly aren't going to, I mean, the battle. But they're not going to win the war. Jesus is winning the war, but we're going to continue to try to reach out and get people, pull them from the fire into the truth. People who want to know the truth will hear it. Uh, we have Dan in Salt Lake City. I don't know what caller he is, but we have some questions here. If God said he gave his only begotten son, what are we considered? Uh, the Bible is clear on this. We are not considered daughters or sons of God until we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Then we are adopted and we become his children. Up until then, we are creatures, fallen, sinful, probably no different than an ape, except we have opposable thumbs and an ability to reason. So uh, God views us as, as creations that he loves. He sent his only begotten son for us. But it's only when you receive what God sent to save us from our fallen state that you become a child of God. Another difference between uh, Mormonism and Christianity. Mormonism says, hey, I am a child of God and he has sent me here. Uh, has given me an earthly home with parents kind and dear. And it's just, it's just, you don't have to believe in Jesus to be a child of God. You're born a child of God and it's completely anti-biblical. Go to John 1, 12 through 14 and you'll see in plain language that we only by his son become the children of God. Brant from Clearfield House, Sean, what do you think of Van Hale and did the founder of FAIR ever respond to the on-air invite? The founder of FAIR has never responded to me. Uh, he has, other people have contacted him and he has written to them and he has sent to them that he won't uh, get involved in debate. Uh, I promise I won't debate. I will not debate. I'll let him sit here. In fact, I'll let him have the full hour. We'll provide him with questions. 
He can ask, answer the question straight out here, and the following week, I will take his responses and show how they're wrong. I won't say a word while he's on here. He can have the full hour, Mr. Scott Gordon Affair, to say all the truths that are misunderstood about Mormonism right here on the air. I won't say a word, Scott. You can present your whole argument right here on the air to the waiting world. All right? Here's the agreement. You come on the air. We will pay for you to come here. We'll pay for your airline ticket, Scott Gordon Affair. To come here, we'll give you questions. You answer them, Mr. So Full of Knowledge, and I won't say a word. The following week, we'll replay what you said, and I will answer uh, with facts about your comments. Do you take that, Scott? Okay, Van Hale, who? Who? What's his name? Van what? I thought he died. Okay, let's go to Dave, uh, Salt Lake City, second time caller. Dave, you're on Heart of the Matter. Really? Okay, here I am. What's up? Hey, I have, a, uh, I have a question for you. All right. Well, basically, I was wondering if you think that it's really kind of a common thing that Christians are kind of degrading towards other religions or other beliefs. Degrading? Yeah, like uh, they, they tend to break down and, and analyze and, and destroy other beliefs so that they can be the only one left. Yeah, well... I it shouldn't be uh, degrading, but it should be based in truth. And yes, absolutely. Uh, the word tells us to contend earnestly for the faith. In the Greek word, that word is maritzo. And what that means is we are just going to, we will fight for truth, but we should do it with peace. But we will stand unequivocally on truth. Uh, schizo is the other word for ripping apart and sometimes Christians think that when you schizo in an argument that's what God wants it's not it's maritzo you can do it emphatically you can argue you can debate but you should do it maritzo and love the person in the end not have the enemies over them but yes Christians will absolutely if they are true Christians will stand up for Jesus because look at he said I am the way the truth and the life if a Christian doesn't stand up for that and says, well, Buddha is too, and Hindu is too, and Muhammad is too, then they're not a Christian. You got to understand. So it's built into the text that, yes, we will. And that's why Christians aren't popular. And that's why Christians were, have been uh, uh, killed. And that's why Christians aren't liked. Because we will stand for what the Bible says. But do you think that Christians have also destroyed other types of beliefs or, or pushed them underground? Like what? You know, like paganism or I hope. even like the magical kind of thing that Mormonism sprouted from? I hope it does. Those things don't do anything so, for anybody's eternal life. What, would, so, what, what good would it do to promote paganism? I, I, so why, why would you, like, okay, so, like, let's say that you look at the, the story of the Jonah and the whale. Yeah. Do you have any proof that that ever happened? Uh, only the written word. Right. Yeah. So, but on your show, you seem to be very derogatory towards, like, uh, another ancient record, the Book of Mormon, that, that says, has lots of other stories. Well, there's a problem, Dave, with your comparison. The problem is, is there is a Nineveh, there is a Tarshish. We do have an ancient record that has been passed down. Compared to the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants of Pearl of Great Price, which all originated from one man. You see, there's but no. How, how let let me finish. Let, let me, wait, 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 Dave, happened. David. Let me finish. There's no history. Oh, wait, this, 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 let me finish. I'm answering the. Let me finish. You didn't let me finish. Let me finish. There is no historicity for the Book of Mormon. There is no genetic backup. 
There is no linguistic backup. Okay, so we can put our faith. Wait, wait, we can put our faith more. We can put our faith more in a story that has those backups than a story that has absolutely none. Okay, now go ahead. So let me ask you this. Okay, so Jonah and the whale happened how many thousands of years ago? I don't know. Huh? I don't know. How many? Like maybe many. four or five thousand years ago? No, not four or know. five. Probably more like fifteen hundred. I mean, probably more like three thousand. Okay. So let's say two thousand years from now. Is there a city of Nephi? Well, if you want to, if you want to bet that the city of Nephi will be discovered in 2,000 years, go ahead. I don't care. I don't care what you believe, I'm Dave. I'm saying I, that, that uh, you know, a lot of this stuff that was written thousands of years ago okay. had thousands of years Look to develop at, proof of its existence. Every one of your arguments, though, that? but your argument fails. See, we, are in, we do have modern science now. What's it going to take to discover Book of Mormon findings? I mean, we have... We have bulldozers, we have archaeologists, we have radar, we have sonar, we have, we have ability to look underground. We have all kinds of technology now that didn't exist when we were looking to see if Jonah was true or not. But now we do, and we find consistent supports for the Bible. But with, but with, this, in, with this technology, but wait, with this technology, we can't find anything, anything, not a coin, not a spear to support the Book of Mormon story. So your analogy about, hey, in 2,000 years, well, what, does the evidence for a silver coin, is, does it take more uh, technology to find that from the Book of Mormon than it does from the Bible? All I'm saying is it doesn't really matter. I mean... It does you, matter. You, can, you have... I'm not saying that there's any proof of existence that the Book of Mormon happened. Okay. Any more than there's proof that the, That's not true. the Bible happened. That's and not so, true. That is not true. The Bible just had more time to, to grow and develop and become part of our culture. It's not true. We have a Jerusalem. We have first-hand witnesses. We have, we have places. have a city of Nephi. Where is that? We have a city of Nephi. Do Where is it? Where is the city of Nephi? Uh, Nephi, Utah. Dude, you're gone. You, you typify the Mormon mind. Very good. Oh, my gosh. I hope that makes it on YouTube. We only got 30 seconds left for Scott in Salt Lake City. He's a first-time caller callback. Listen, uh, David, uh, David writes and Joel writes and a lady writes and says, you need to watch your tone. Uh, you need to be kinder. Don't interrupt callers. I want to tell you something. I've been doing this for six years. I was Mormon 40. I understand the syntax, the sing-song lilting. I understand their arguments. I understand their straw mans that they're setting up. I understand the argumentation, and I'm going to cut them off because they're not going to use this show as a platform to spray out their poison to convince people who are watching. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Mm.